There's a cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a code of silence and it can't go on. Hi folks, I am Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 19th of April 2010. Newcomers, as always, I suggest you go to cuttingthroughthematrix.com website. Bookmark all the other sites I have up there for future use in cases problems with the com. And you'll find there hundreds of talks I've given in the past over the years where I try to fill in the big picture for those who are really interested in knowing what's going on in the world, what's really going on in the world. And I try to give you the stepping stones to put together to realize that you're really in a controlled society that's outside really of the fallacy of democracy or or the government as it's presented to you. You're living a script. And so go into the site, uh, have a good peruse of the different shows, try to listen in order if you can, because you'll learn an awful lot. Uh, And uh, there's no uh, lizard people in here, no aliens. It's just the facts from the big boys themselves, from their own publications, the stuff the media knows is out there, but they don't tell you. Their job in the media is to keep you looking at the effects of of plans, just the effects of things, the oh dears and oh my, what are they doing now? Look at this outrage over blah, blah, blah. And that's what they give to you. However, they, they know darn well what's really going on, but their job is not to inform you. We have to do it here on shows like this. Remember, too, that you are the audience that bring me to you. I don't get paid by advertisers like most of the hosts do. I could certainly do it and bring lots of guests on that would really be kind of paid ads, and I'd be rolling in the old cash. But uh, that kind of compromises you, too, as to what you can say and where you can go with certain topics as well. So this way, it gives me a free hand. The ads you hear on this show are paid by the advertisers directly to RBN to produce the show, to put it out there, uh, to, to get it out to you. It pays for the staff and their time and their board operators and their bills and the updates of their equipment, which everyone has to go through all the time, especially when you're broadcasting on the waves. So you have to support me, and you can do so by going into cuttingthroughthematrix.com, see what I have for sale. There's good books there I've written, Long linear thinking books uh, t- to show you how the, the mind control works and to get you into thinking in a non-linear way, like the ones who rule the world, the ones who know how to go around all these different courses and stuff with the simplest problem and then uh, come up with a ways of scamming you. That's how they do it. I'll show you how to do it in the books. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I am Alan Watt, we're cutting through the matrix. I spent years showing you how the cons work and showing you how government uses many, many techniques and specialists, of course, to 
to get all the cons pulled over on us until we believe it is all quite normal and natural and things are just developing and different agencies pop up and get power and we simply adapt and obey. Adaptation is very, very important when you want to bring in this new, this dream, a very old dream actually, but this new system for us, uh, which is really based on totalitarian dictatorship types of systems. You've got to remember too that the royal family of Britain and other countries were very impressed with the Nazi regime and even the Soviet regime. They're incredibly interested in the progress of these great experiments, as they like to call them. And um, what was so important to them was that uh, the Soviet system, which was technically called called socialist, uh, as a good con that the people ran the country themselves, one of the biggest deceptions ever created. But uh, it was to get the people to work idealistically, idealistically towards something. They, they, they write in their writings, they're always looking for men with vision, vision. And along comes a man with vision. And what they mean by that is directing another century or so of the world's uh, direction. Vision is very important to them. And therefore, the, the communist vision with its uh, idealistic promise of this wonderful utopia where everyone would be well-behaved, they'd all believe in a system, and they were working towards a goal, you see, collectively, and sacrificing on the way. It was very, very important as an experiment. And remember, too, the British banks and all of these people were, had financed uh, the setting up of the Bolsheviks and the continuation down through the Soviet era. Same thing with Adolf Hitler, Professor Anthony Sutton, uh, wrote books on them, who financed uh, uh, Hitler and uh, the, the rise and fall of, uh, um, I think it was the Soviet Union. He, he, he shows you who, who bankrolled them all, the same banks and the same big people with their cash in those banks from the West, from London and New York primarily. And the big corporations too, that they were all behind it, the same ones, the IBMs, the... Um, the Ford, Carnegie, uh, Rockefeller Foundations, with their businesses as well, with Standard Oil and all those guys, they set up Nazi Germany as well. Well, what they both had, they were both socialist-based with this totalitarian system. We're all working together. We're all in it together, working and sacrificing towards a glorious future, this wonderful utopia. Very important to Fabianists, to all the, the people who are behind it, uh, to see how it worked, you see. And they learned by their mistakes. Now, we forget, too, that Hitler and Stalin had a pact at the beginning because they were both socialist. And they had meetings uh, where Hitler and Stalin agreed that there was very little difference between them. And uh, in some of the early posters for Adolf Hitler, too, they actually had the, the picture of Lenin next to him. And Hitler was, was uh, actually appraised as to be uh, another Lenin. This is also called, is called positive freedom in psychological terms by those who plan the futures for whole societies, like Isaiah Berlin, for instance. Uh, he taught at Oxford University. He was a mentor to people who, in the Fabian Society, uh, and he taught at Tony Blair. And Tony Blair was still writing to him right up until the end of his prime ministership, asking if it was possible to put a blend of negative freedoms and positive freedoms together. Negative freedoms was defined 
as a society where the people were kept kind of happy, kind of fairly happy. You leave them enough money to play and you give them enough booze to play with and parties and stuff like that, negative. But you keep them ignorant as to what's really going on. Positive freedom is where you, you create emergency situations like war scenarios or anti-terror scenarios. And you get the whole country, just like World War II, all working together, sacrificing, rationing uh, to, to achieve a common goal with a vague ending of a, a sunset or something or a, a new sunrise. That's the idea of positive freedom. But Tony Blair, uh, knowing that Britain had been under a term, a, a, term, a type of uh, negative freedom, keep them ignorant, stupid, but fairly happy, uh, just enough money to take by and party, and... Um, could he blend that with positive freedom? Because he wanted to bring in the next step for a united Europe. That was his goal because he was a Fabian, and that's their goal was to create the completely integrated united Europe. So along comes the anti-terror stuff, and bingo, oh, war, here we go. We'll have to go into positive freedom. We all work together. We all sacrifice. We all have to put up with unhappy things like body searches, seizures, and we've got to get the industrial military complex in, now that the Cold War is over too, and they've all been going into cameras and, and security devices to monitor billions of people across the world. So that's what we're in now. It's, it's now called positive freedom. On the US, US side, with their, their side of it too, even when Bush was in, uh, Bush with his handlers behind him, the, the whole staff behind him, the Cheneys, Wolfowitz and all the rest of them, had it planned to go into what they called... Um, revolutionary democracy. What it meant was forcing their system across the world, doing it by force. No time to bicker, no time to persuade, no time to put missionaries in there to, to spread the idea. It's time to just simply go in and force them into it through war scenarios and standardize the world. So you have positive freedom where we all sacrifice globally now towards a common goal some vague utopia of peace and happiness and some vague future. But in the meantime, we've got to be thumbprinted, iris scanned, bent over, uh, all kinds of things poked into us and x-rayed, and we have no privacy whatsoever because we're all in it together. The greatest slogan every war has ever had uh, and banners and propaganda pictures, we're all in it together. We have to sacrifice. And we all have to do it together. So when you do that, you see, you're training the public that when someone complains and says, I don't want to do that. I don't want to get poked and prodded. The public themselves are conditioned to turn on you. Oh, we all do it. We all have to do it. You know, we're all in it together. That's for the common good. Quite something. That's quite something. And when you go into the science fiction movies, that's been put out for the last 30 years with the big G-men, the black outfits, uh, dressed in body armor, faceless characters with machine guns, and always fighting terror, terror, terror. That was to get you used to what's coming. And they always have these scenarios where it's a, it's a bleak future with masses living in poverty, but there's still somehow terrorism out there, and uh, uh, they have to keep on, on top of it for their, for, their, for their bosses, those who run the whole system. You see? That was all preparation. It's just like the, the Pentagon. You wouldn't believe how many movies the Pentagon has directly funded. And they're all to do with anti-Arab movies. 
in wars in the Middle East, starting from the 1970s onwards, getting everyone ready for this. You can't trust the Arabs. The Arabs, they always show them in the desert. You know, There's no such thing as a, as a good uh, first-class uh, modern world Arab city anywhere. They're just these characters uh, in the desert that you can't trust, and they're very excitable and, uh, and very primitive and so on and so on. And they've been doing this for 30-odd years from Hollywood. And Hollywood was only too happy to portray the Arabs this way uh, because, uh, because they have an added interest, as we all know, and Israel, there's no doubt about that. There's no doubt about that whatsoever. Israel has to be saved by every and all means possible by America. Tied at the hip. Completely tied at the hip. And prime ministers of, of Israel have come out and said that openly. Some of them have actually said, uh, don't worry about American opinion. We rule America. That's been in major newspapers. And I have the clips here. So you have the Pentagon working with Hollywood to, to lambast Arabs, all in preparation for this big standardization process as they flatten uh, all resistors in the Middle East and bring them into the same system, starting with the children who are already getting brainwashed in, Af- in uh, Iraq by UNESCO, so that a generation will have to pass and grow up in it and be the first administrators, like puppet administrators, for the new global system. It's all quite understandable. But these movies, as I say, are getting the public full of fear as well. You always create fear way in advance. And as I say, we all pay for it through tax money via the Pentagon to Hollywood. Lots of movies. I have lists of them that were all funded completely by the Pentagon. Now, this thing I'm going to read right now is right out of a science fiction for those who have watched all these disaster-type scenarios and bleak futures. Uh, and it's from it's from uh, the Games Monitor. It's called Games Monitor. It's called London 2012. One big party or one big prison. By Mike Wells. Listen to this. This is fact. This is actually fact. <laughs> it's right out of science fiction. Security precautions for London's 2012. That's the Olympics include the construction of a 17.5-kilometer, 5,000-volt electric fence topped with 900 daylight and night vision surveillance cameras spaced at 50-meter intervals. On first sight of the fence, you could be forgiven for thinking you had slipped through a wormhole in the space-time continuum to find yourself on the perimeter of a Soviet-era gulag. The code of practice for the operating CCTV at the London Olympics states that the threat of hostile individuals attempting to gain access through the perimeter is believed to justify the use of CCTV. As part of the command perimeter security system, CCTV will be deployed. And it says here, uh, the 17.5-kilometer fence has 900 day-night vision cameras, blah, blah, uh, and the 5,000-volt electrified wire. 5,000-volt electrified wire to protect their big party. I'll be back with more after these messages. This is Alan Watt, and we're cutting through the matrix. Reading an article that's like something out of a sci-fi movie, 
to do with electrified fences for Olympic Games and all these cameras all over the place. I'm sure they've got sound uh, cameras there as well, uh, night vision, all that kind of stuff. They admit to that. But it's in a 17.5-kilometer fence, 17.5 kilometers with, with 5,000 volts going through it. It says here it gives a feeling of a prison rather than that of a purely of a party venue. The use of military terms like hostile individuals and command perimeter security system highlight a contradiction between Olympic promise and reality, between the sporting party image and a security paranoia now made visible in the form of the Olympic perimeter fence. But there's a large and profitable industry supplying equipment, this is the important part too, uh, and research to feed the paranoia of a new security mindset identified by the author Matt Carr, who comments, A new genre of military futurology has emerged, which owes as much to apocalyptic Hollywood movies as it does to the Cold War tradition of scenario planning. That was, that was the Rand Corporation scenario planning. Often outlandish and bizarre in its prophecies and always dystopian, this new military futurism sees threats to the Western way of life emanating not only from rogue states, weapons of mass destruction and terrorism, but also from resurgent nationalism, conflicts over dwindling resources, migration, disease, organized crime, abrupt climate change, and the emergence of failed cities where social disorder is rife. That all came out, remember, out of the Department of Defense for Britain and NATO, further from their think tank, and I've got the 90 pages of the report up on my archive section, if you go into it. Uh, it's, it's fascinating. This is exactly true. All this stuff comes right out of other the scary predictions of all the possible ifs that could go wrong in the future. And they literally use your tax money to throw billions at every possible if, believe you me. And it says here, it says, Joint Metropolitan Police and Special Forces Anti-Terror Exercise. They had that there too, oh, in advance of it. The exercise was so realistic that amputees were used as fake casualties, as can be seen from the bloodied leg. Loud explosions and gunfire was heard during the exercise. This is the photographer. I left the scene as soon as the commanding officer threatened to arrest me under the Official Secrets Act for taking photographs. This is Britain. Ho, 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 ho. Joint Metropolitan Police and Special Forces Anti-Terror Exercise. Well, they had it there, as I say. Other security measures to be implemented for London 2012 will include facial and iris recognition, fingerprint and hand recognition, guards with attack dogs and search dogs. New software is planned to integrate all of London's CCTV cameras and will have the capacity. That's very interesting. Eh? New software. They're always upgrading everything because it's big bucks for the manufacturers who now have to change from missiles after the Cold War into all this stuff. See, we're, we're the new enemy, you understand? New software is planned to integrate all of London's CCTV cameras and will have the capability to follow you through the city. Every individual can be followed through the city automatically, just like Enemy of the State, the movie. A scheme to search people and vehicles will include machines capable of looking through your clothing. They have the portable x-ray scanners, folks. I mentioned that months ago. They have the portable ones the cops have in their cars. So they can go and laugh and TT and titter as they're looking at all the young females going by. 
the Air Force will deploy its Reaper pilotless drone aircraft, which will... Uh, Reaper, it's the rip, that's a grim Reaper. You understand, they love this military terminology. You're the enemy. You're the scum. The Reaper. Pilotless drone aircraft, which will carry laser-guided bombs and missiles, including the Hellfire air-to-ground weapon. While on the Thames, the Royal Navy will deploy its new £1 billion Daring-class Type 45 destroyer. These are also to be fitted with laser-guided missile systems able to shoot down a target the size of a cricket ball. It's rumoured that the London's Metropolitan Police are planning to use remotely controlled mini-airplanes with surveillance cameras, in other words, spy drones, at the Olympics. A company likely to supply the equipment is Air Robotic UK Limited. Air Robot UK's website tells us that the Air Robot UK was chosen as a UAV, Unmanned Aerial Vehicle System, to cover aerial surveillance at the London Olympics 2012, handed Germany during the late summer of 2008. The system was deployed at the Mall and Buckingham Palace to provide uh, real-time images to emergency services at the event. The Home Office, that's like the British complete, they're in charge of all laws, it's like the Homeland Security in other words, all laws throughout Britain. Uh, ensuring the safety and security of the 2012 Games will be one of the largest, most complex security challenges the UK has ever faced. The Home Office's suggestion appears on an overstatement. Securing Britain from Nazi Germany during the Second World War and preventing global nuclear destruction during the Cold War would fit their description, but as Matt Carr comments, in recent years, the military establishments of the U.S. and the U.K. have produced a series of reports that attempts to, th- to link the unthinkable in imagining future threats to the security of the West. The Olympic Act, which sets out various laws relating to the Olympics, gives the right of forced entry into private property to remove unauthorized advertising or protest banners. This is freedom for you. Even more worrying is that the right of forced entry is extended outside the police force to staff contracted to the ODA. That's the low-level thugs. Back with more after these messages. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and we're cutting through the matrix, just going through one article to do with the the totalitarian societies and the training of the mob, you know, or the people who are now all the enemy. And uh, that's really what the training is all about. We're all the enemy, apparently, in this brave new world. And when we're completely united and they admit we're united, so we already are, in fact, then uh, they expect uh, problems here and there. And they're training us all to be obedient and afraid. And they're actually using social approval and social disapproval so that the masses will, who are totally brainwashed, will turn on you if you complain about something. Well, it's okay for us. We have to bend down and get searched. What's wrong with you? And that's what they use. They use these techniques already in other countries like China. Now, it says here, a subcategory of military futurism known as red teaming. Red teaming is a way of assessing your own security from the point of view of those who would attack you as though you were, you were your own enemy. 
It is promoted as a way of thinking without preconceptions or boundaries. Red Team Journal comments that some events are also unlikely that their very randomness lowers all obstacles to them occurring. This poses a particular problem for red teaming and threat analysis. How can we plan for every conceivable scenario or to take a different tack should we? Being strong everywhere means being weak everywhere. One can easily drain organizational resources planning for movie plot weapons of mass destruction terrorism only to be surprised by a group of men with machine guns. But protecting the national interest is a task that must be accomplished regardless of human weakness. In other words, all or nothing. We cover every imaginary possibility. They sit with think tanks and say, well, what could, well, someone might put on a, a false nail. It could be an explosive. And, I mean, you could, the sky's the limit with your imagination, isn't it? Totally the limit. And that's, that's what these guys get paid for. And then they put money at it and start checking your fingernails and stuff like that. I, I'm not kidding. This is how mad all of this is. That's a very scared people, you know. At the same time, at the top, they want nothing to go wrong that could throw off their big Fabian world society, their controlled world society, where you'll gradually be taught to take credits from the government in lieu of money, and you will serve, you'll be proud to serve the world system. Huxley said it perfectly well, the people will be trained to, to love their slavery. That's what you're going into. Make no bones about it. Says here, the idea that we should protect the national interest regardless of human weakness sounds more like a line from a Hollywood B-movie than something that should be taken seriously by government agencies. And yet, looking at the development of the London Olympic security, one can imagine this is a way of thinking that has taken root. So, it goes on and on and on, quite a long article, but that gives you the, the idea of uh, this incredible sci-fi nonsense we're going through with 5,000 volt fences and, and the black clad, totally armored warriors standing there with the faceless uh, uh, helmets and these masks on and all the rest of it, just like all the movies have conditioned you for, as I say, 25, 30 years. Absolutely amazing. But here we are. It's amazing, too, they can do all this when we're supposedly, utterly, utterly, incredibly broke. Never been broker, they keep telling us. But they get all this money to throw at the big security companies who lobby governments, and they know all the politicians. And you know, for every government contract that goes out, there's a kickback to the guy who awarded it to them. You all know that. I hope you really understand that. That's how it all works. For the very, very naive Eve out there. Now... There's an article, too, I've read already, but it's uh, from about the FBI chief uh, talking about homegrown terrorism. I'll put this one up, too, where they give out their latest uh, spiel about Al-Qaeda, Al-Qaeda, this, this strange, you know, fictional uh, Al-Qaeda. Uh, still aims to strike the United States, but homegrown or unaffiliated extremists now pose an equally serious threat. FBI chief Robert Mueller, the big Nazi, warned U.S. lawmakers Thursday. And on and on it goes. It's getting the public that they're all out amongst you. They're all, anybody that's odd, you should report them. Anybody who comes out with a strange idea, like, is there something going on and we're being taken over? I wonder. Any, any odd question that you're at, just report them. Just report them right away. That's, that's all, that's what the training's all for. Now, <laughs> And again, they give you the movies to prepare your mind. That's called predictive programming. 
What you see in a, in a movie, because it's fictional, your guard is not up, your sensor part of your brain is not up, you're enjoying the movie, they give you a human interest story, here's the bad guys, here's the good guys, uh, good guys trying to catch bad guys, here's the chase, they get the guy in the end. But in the way, you're getting programmed with all the other ideas that they want to sink into you. The movie storyline is just the carrier for the messages. That's all it is, it's a carrier. And it says here, uh, from, from this article here, uh, crime prediction software is here, and it's a very bad idea. There are no naked precogs inside glowing jacuzzis yet, but the Florida State Department of Juvenile Justice will use analysis software to predict crime by young delinquents. Remember the movie Minority Report? So it says, putting potential offenders under specific prevention and educational programs. Goodbye, human rights. They will use this software on juvenile delinquents, so I'll start on them, using a series of variables to determine the potential for these people to commit another crime. Depending on this probability, it says here, not possibly, but probability, they will put them under specific re-education programs. That's straight out of the Soviet Union. Re-education programs. So now we have gulags with 5,000 volts going through them and re-education programs. They started off the re-education programs under the guise, and it was under the guise of sensitivity training. Yeah, uh-huh. that's how they started it. Yeah, And they always knew where they were going with it. Deepak Advani, Vice President of Predictive and Analytics at IBM. There's IBM, the guys that brought up the Cardex system uh, for, for us all to be chipped, of course. They work with Rand Corporation, IBM, the beautiful IBM, or IBIM, as I like to call it, because that's really what it is. Um, also came up with a way to number people in concentration camps, the Jews and the Gypsies. Uh, there's a lot of Christians there, too, Jehovah's Witnesses and all the rest of it, and lots of Slavs got numbered, tattooed. To keep the records tidy, you understand, they've got to have everybody numbered. And we're going through electronically today, and eventually when your chip's with you, you got your number, boy. <laughs> so, depending on this probability, they put them under specific re-education programs. Deepak Avani, president of the Annex IBM, says the system gives reliable projections so governments can take action in real time. Oh, I love all the terminal, in real time, oh yeah. To prevent climate, uh, or climate, <laughs> it's a part of it too, criminal uh, activities. It says here, really reliable predictions, action in real time, preventing criminal activities. I don't know about how reliable your system is, IBM, but have you ever heard of the 5th, the 6th, the 14th Amendments to the United States Constitution? What about Article 11 of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights? No. Let's make this easy then. Uh, didn't you watch that Scientology, the nutcase and minority report? No, he's talking about one of the actors who's in Scientology that acted the part in Minority Report. Sure, some will argue that these juvenile delinquents were already convicted for other crimes. So, hey, there's no harm. And that's how the people think, isn't it? This software will help prevent further crimes. It will make all of us safe. Ah, oh, safe. But would it? Where's the guarantee of that? Why does the state have to assume, assume that criminal behavior is a given? And why should the government decide who goes to a specific prevention uh, program or who doesn't based on what a computer says? 
The fact is that even if the software were was 99.99% accurate, there will always be an innocent person who will be, and he uses the expletive, which is very common in Hollywood language in the movies. And that is exactly what, why we have something called due process and the presumption of innocence. That's why those things are not only in the United States Constitution, but in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights too. So that's to give you an idea, if you, one crime, remember one strike and you're out, that's it for life, folks. You have to go and get your mind, just like Clockwork Orange. See the old movie Clockwork Orange, you know. Satire in a strange, uh, surrealistic way and a bit of comedy can really get it through better often than just the, the bland spoken word or of the bare facts alone. Quite something, indeed. Now, we know that uh, the climate deal is a done deal. It was done before the public ever heard about the, the climate change. They planned it back in the 70s. They said, this is going to be the mandate. Uh, a war that, that the world will face. It'll have to be a war scenario. So they picked climate change and global warming. Back in the 20s, in the mainstream papers, they had, it was, it was a global, it was, it was actually, uh, uh, first it was melting off the North Pole in the 1920, late 20s, it was freezing in the North Pole, and, and my God, all the shipping routes were being frozen up, so they thought they'd come up with a coming ice age. Well, that panned out, so it didn't pan out either, so all the guys who worked at the United Nations, all the top Fabianists and so on, and communists, uh, had to change it. Same, th- same guys decided writing books about global warming, thinking, well, okay, we'll change the bet to global warming. And, and before that, too, acid rain was a big thing. Everybody's forgotten about acid rain in the, in the hole in the ozone. That was going to kill us all off. And that didn't pan out either. So they came up with climate change, you know, changes in the weather. It rains one day, it's sunny the next, that kind of idea. And, uh, and, and they get the whole world under control because it'd have to take over, and it gives a brand new system of governance to bring this in and force it all down our throats. Because it's really intended to bring out a brand new system of eugenics, killing off the weak, uh, being austere, mean no medicine for you, Sonny. Uh, you don't really warrant it. You're not more, you're not important enough on the social ladder for your community, because that's how they really they are working it out. There's hospitals even in Britain that literally classify you according to your social status in the community. Are you necessary to the community? That depends on your treatment you're going to get, if any, or even get resuscitated. I'm not joking about that. This is the big stick. So this here says, from the UK News, college gives files. This is the, the, the college that's really furious now because it was, it was at the centre of East Anglia University with all of its emails plus its, all its phony content showing the dirty tricks they got up to, stopping people with, with a, a real good scientists too, uh, prominent scientists with any alternate views, actually barring them from getting anything published in the papers. Utterly dirty mafia tricks. And they're getting away with it because they, they won't change this. They've been back. Too much work went into this. How do we get them a totalitarian system and a new world order to come into view? You've got to use this system, and, and that's the only one they've picked. They can't go back. So it says here, 
the Climatic Research Unit at the University of East Anglia. The university embroiled in the scandal over leaked climate change emails has sparked outrage by handling or handing the personal details of climate change skeptics to the police. So anyone who asks for information from East Anglia University, you've got a special police squad investigating you. The university, as it says here, the University of East Anglia claimed it had been deluged with requests from skeptics. You're called a skeptic if you question anything. You know, you're, you're like a like like a, a heretic. Under the Freedom of Information Act, shortly before hacked emails were published, which appeared to show scientists manipulating climate change data, and there's only one of all of them across the world combined doing the same stuff. It came out in Australia, came out in other countries. But the university's angered privacy campaigners after passing on the details of those asking for information to the Norfolk Police, which is investigating the alleged email theft with the National Domestic Extremism Unit. If you ask a question about it, folks, you're an extremist. This is, uh, shortly they'll be burning you at the stake. Oh, you're a, you're a climate change denier. Ah, burn them at the stake, you know. I'm not kidding. This is the same mentality at work here. You better get that through your heads. Well, your private data from a simple request is handed over to uh, the National Domestic Extremism Unit. You're in trouble. Detectives are interviewing all those who legally use the FOI Act to request information from the Climatic Research Unit, questioning them about their scientific and political beliefs, not what you know. But what do you believe? Burn them. Burn them at the stake. One of those targeted said, It's alarming. I thought it was a bit heavy-handed. My understanding is everyone who put in an FOI request to the university has been contacted. The police were looking for a conspiracy. They felt there had been an organized group of people bombarding the university with questions. I would have appreciated more of a briefing before launching into questions about my political beliefs. Another businessman, Sebastian Noak, said he'd been called by a detective who wanted to know what computer I used, my internet service provider, and also to which political parties I have belonged. Do you understand the dangers of all this stuff? Do you really get at what's really happening here? This is what I feel about climate change and what my qualifications in climate science are. He questioned me at length. Once you're on these databases, folks, you're never scrubbed off it. Mr. Noak's FOI request had asked for details about the training given to scientists to disclose information and for copies of any emails suggesting they had been with, uh, they had withheld information. That's a reasonable request since it was broken up in the newspapers. Dylan Sharp, director of privacy campaigners Big Brother Watch said, it's disgraceful that people are being targeted without evidence. Setting an FOI request should not be a police matter. It's not a crime to want to know how public money is spent any more than it is to question the science of climate change. Well, it is now a crime, folks, to ask that. Where's the money spent? You're dragged in by the domestic extremist, extremism unit. Oh, you especially black-clad guys, special padding they get and special little badges. They all have to be special in these forces, you see. A parliamentary select committee report found the university had a reprehensible culture of withholding information and called for greater transparency in climate research. The row broke out after emails that suggested scientists used tricks when dealing with raw data to prove global warming was man-made. 
And Superintendent Julian Gregory, who was leading the investigation, said, as with any investigation, we will interview anyone who may have information which is of relevance. That's all those who ask questions. Do you know the government and different departments ask questions as well? And, and they were told by the University of East Anglia, oh, oh we lost it all. They'd actually hidden it all, but they lost it all. So they lied to them too. I wonder if they'll investigate the government and go through all their members and ask them and get, get the domestic extremism unit onto them as well. They might be finding some extremism there too. They'll certainly find a lot of paybacks and bank accounts offshore. The utter system is corrupt and the gangsters are the ones they hire in all ages to bring in complete totalitarian systems on behalf of their masters. Back with more after these messages. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watts and we're cutting through the matrix. Now there's callers on the line and I'll take them now. There's Miguel from New York. Are you there, Miguel? Hey, good. Miguel, OW there. How you doing, Alan? Not bad. Pleasure to speak to you. I've been lifelong, lifelong fan. I've been listening to your podcast every day consistently for about three years at least. Mm-hmm. Thank you for your time. Now, Alan, talking about what you were talking about, Hollywood, it's amazing how people have never realized how much we actually have been programmed to everything that's happening because the first time we actually saw a black president was in the movie Deep Impact, and it was popularized on the, the TV shows 24, which is also the first, which is also the TV show that actually showed the government actually setting off its own nuclear bomb in its, in its own on its own state, yep. which is what happened in one show. Mm-hmm. Now, with the with the rise of the nuclear summit happening, and at the same time on Friday, I was watching Bill Maher's show, and they had the director of Inconvenient Truth, and he's direct. He made a new movie by who knows what, what, what chance. It's a movie about terrorists. It's a, it's a movie about terrorists uh, at getting nuclear weapons. Now, what do you think about these incoming action happening at the same time? And as I like to say, there's no such thing as a coincidence in life. Oh, there's no such thing, absolutely. Uh, uh, we, we're prepared mentally and psychologically by guys like Sunstein that worked with Obama, big professor in psychology, mass psychology, behavior motivation and behavior alteration on a mass scale. And they work with Hollywood, absolutely. I could, I could write out a whole book on the movies that uh, Hollywood has been paid for directly by the Pentagon. I've actually got one, one here, in fact, it's fascinating to see how they've been demonizing Arabs, for instance, for seven, for 30 years. Uh, demonizing them with movie after movie before anything was ever happening uh, in preparation for today. Uh, so, uh, you're quite right. Um, there's de- they definitely, they definitely put Obama in at the right time. Uh, to, to, and he is following his master's orders. He's exactly the same as Bush. He's doing what, what he's told. He hasn't changed anything. We still serve the banks. We must all go into poverty to save the banks once again. That tells you who's, who his bosses are. And the guys behind them are the same bunch, really, that were behind uh, the Bushes. It's a continuation of it. You know, the guy in front is never important. It's number two that's important in their system. Always. Yeah. Correct. Because if, if you think, if you think back, you know, nobody paid attention when Rahm Emanuel, who, to me, personally, is one of the guys running the show behind the scenes, 
Mm-hmm. There was a time. There was a time that everyone made a laugh, like uh, when he was cracking his knuckles, and Obama told him to stop. And he he crept over to Obama and he cracked his knuckles in his ear, yeah. and everyone laughed like it was a joke. But you know, so yeah. if you think heavy about it, you don't do that to your boss. It's, it, that was a sh- that was a show of power, telling Obama, "Look, I run the show." Yes. For your place. Absolutely. And, and also, you cannot have people advising. And giving a reality, remember that article I read where the, one of them from the last presidency, an advisor said, he says, look to the, to, to the report, he says, we give you your reality and we change you your reality. And when we change it, you talk about that, you reporters talk about that, that becomes reality. And then we change it again and that becomes another reality and that's just how the way it is. I mean, that's, a, that is a fact. But one thing is too, you cannot have people with dual citizenships. Uh, running the, the U.S. Uh, 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 of the uh, of America, you cannot have dual citizenship. People who are compromised between two different nations, it's impossible. And that's what you have today as well. And they're both involved in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're having you right about that. Are you going to write a new book anytime soon, Alan? I hope so. I really hope so. If I can just get the time to to get really rush one through, yeah. Thank you for everything, Alan. You have a good day. You too. Thanks for calling. But it's true, and uh, this farce of the people voting, these people, is nothing more than a farce. And again, you've got to read Carol Quigley's books, The Anglo-American Establishment, to get the idea of the big global plan, starting with free trade, then blocks of nations, which become provinces under the United Nations. That's their utopia. Depopulation, the whole thing, in the process, that causes as much strife as possible. From Hamish and myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God or your God's go with you.